Tiki Hut Media. From Tiki Hut Media, this is Soul Ramblings with Jerry Wicker. Hey there, welcome into Soul Ramblings for this week. I'm Jerry, the lay minister at Manatee Life Church in Bradenton, Florida, a multicultural United Methodist community of faith. You can join us in person or online. Link is in the show notes of this episode. And today we're going to head over to the sanctuary for you got it. Big dreams, massive visions, you got them. But how will you make them a reality? It's easy to get overwhelmed when you feel like you don't have what it takes. But we've got good news. When you've got God, you got it. That's grammatically incorrect. It was pointed out to me after this sermon that it actually should be you've got it. But just to get your attention, I did it grammatically incorrect. You got it. And it's coming up here on Soul Ramblings Podcast. But before we head over to the sanctuary, if you were with us last week, we talked a little bit about the three parables in Luke 15, where we talked about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, and how that relates to following Jesus. And I had some other thoughts about Luke chapter 15, especially as it relates to those lost sheep and that lost coin. Have you ever vacuumed out your car and found there were coins on the floorboards? Yeah, I have. Coins just seem to end up there. They slip through my fingers, fall out of my pockets. Most of the time, I don't even realize they're gone. I don't know when I lost them, but there they are. Losing a sheep is not quite as common an occurrence. I don't know anyone who is a shepherd. I have heard stories, though. My father-in-law, who recently passed away, was a farmer, and in the early days, he did have some sheep, and he said he quit raising sheep because they were just too much trouble. You always had to be counting them because they would wander away. If there was the slightest hole in a fence, they would find it and make it bigger until they could get through it. I never heard him talk about his sheep with anything but frustration. Seems to me losing a sheep is just about as easy as losing a coin. And in these parables in Luke 15, both the shepherd and the woman realize what they have lost, and they look high and low for it. They rejoice when they find it. Neither the sheep nor the coin are to blame for being lost, nor is the shepherd nor the woman being blamed for what they have lost. It just happens. Fault doesn't seem to come into it for Jesus. Joy, on the other hand, is what it's all about. God is joyful when we turn toward the holy and away from that which separates us from God, whether that is in repentance or daily living. When we choose God, all of heaven and earth rejoices. Because you see, when we choose God, when we choose God's way, the whole world is just a touch better off. Each time we determine to live a little more moral life, each time we decide to be a blessing to our neighbor, each time we forego getting ahead at the neighbor's expense, whether the neighbor is next door or halfway around the globe, the world is a better place. The thing that strikes me this time is, what about the 99 who don't need to repent? Are there such people who don't need to repent? We've always been taught that there are not, but everyone needs to repent, right? On the other hand, our natural tendency is to say, oh, yes, I'm a good person. I think I'm okay to come face to face with God. I've heard it hundreds of times. I'm a good person. I don't need a church. Or I'm a good person. I'm okay with God. I know lots of people who would say, 
They are a part of the 99 who never wandered away. Are they wrong? Well, no, and yes. I'm glad they are good people. I want the world to be filled with good people. The problem is, you can only think you don't need God if you don't take a very close look at your life. Everyone needs God. Everyone has things for which to repent. Maybe not murder or adultery or any of the other quote-unquote big ones, but a harsh word or a thoughtless act that brought pain and confusion to another. Yeah, that would be something we need to repent. You see, none of us are immune, but we have the opportunity to repent, and God will always accept our repentance because God is for all of us, and that's what I want you to know today. God rejoices in you. God rejoices in you. God rejoices in you because you got it. Let's head over to the sanctuary for this week's message. God's word for today, our scripture lesson for this morning. Going to do it a little bit differently than we normally do it. I've got three selected verses from the book of 1 Samuel. And these verses, there's a method to my madness. (laughs) The first verse I read is going to be about Saul. The second verse that is read is going to be about David. And the third verse that I read is someone that is talking about David. Okay, so you'll see some similarities in these verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it on his head, talking about Saul, and kissed him. He said, the Lord has anointed you ruler over his people Israel. You will reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their enemies all around. Now this shall be the sign to you, that the Lord has anointed you ruler over his heritage. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a warrior, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good and gracious God. Would you fill this space with your Holy Spirit during this hour, and may the words of my mouth, and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. So what we're talking about this morning is something that God has been showing me over the past several years of my life. So I'm going to get a little personal with you and transparent with you. I had someone come up to me several weeks ago and said, I love the stories that you tell about you and Beth because it helps us get to know you a little bit better. And so I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but we'll see. I'll I'll ask your opinion at the end of the sermon, (laughs) if that's a good or a bad thing. 
But in doing so, I want to reveal some things that God has been dealing with me over the past couple of years. And we're looking at two guys from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. Uh, these two guys, the reason I chose these two is because, if you noticed, two of those verses were quite similar. They had similar experiences. But they also have some key differences in their lives. The first is Saul. Saul, the first king of Israel. The people decided they wanted to demand of God. Uh, they'd gone through a series of judges, and the people thought, you know, we need a king. That's what we need. And so God said, okay. And Saul was the first king of Israel. We first read about Saul. His story begins in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And if you go back and read that, you'll see more about Saul. And then the second is David, who is the second king of Israel. Now, when we're introduced to Saul back up in chapter 9, here's what's going on. The family has lost some donkeys, all right? And Saul has gone out to look for those donkeys, along with some other folks. Didn't have much luck. They couldn't find them. So Saul has this idea. He says, there's a prophet of God, and this guy Samuel. I'll go to his house. He's a prophet, surely. He'll know where to direct us to find these donkeys. So he shows up at Samuel's house, knocks on the door. Samuel meets him and says, I have a message from God for you. <laughs> then Samuel took a flask of olive oil, poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be what? Ruler, king over Israel, his special possession. The verse we read said his heritage, his special possession. So we got Saul looking for donkeys, looking for lost donkeys, and Samuel says, God wants to give you the keys to the kingdom. Now imagine that. Looking for lost donkeys, and the prophet of God says, God wants you to be the first king ever over the people of Israel. So there's Saul. And we move to David some six chapters later in 1 Samuel. His story starts not with him looking for lost donkeys, but instead he is watching over sheep and goats because he's a shepherd. That's what shepherds do. Samuel, this very same prophet who anointed Saul to be king of Israel, shows up at David's house looking for the second king of Israel because that's where God told him to go. He got there, he met the brothers, the seven brothers of David. They were at home, but each time he said, eh, this is not the one that God has chosen to be the second king. Let's go on to the next one. No, no, not him, not him. Let's move on to the next one until there are no more brothers left. And he said, do you know anybody, or do you have anybody left? Is there anybody left? Because I can imagine Saul's, oh, you know, God sent me here, going through all these brothers and, and nada, nothing. What's happening? So he asked me, yeah, got, any more, got any more sons? Well, there's David. He's the youngest. 
But he's out watching the sheep and goats, and Samuel says, oh, we'll wait, go get him. We'll wait. David walks into the house, and then here's what happens. David stood among his brothers. Samuel takes a flask of olive oil and anointed David with oil. Sound familiar? What happened to Saul? We, we just read this about Saul. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, Scripture says, from that day on. And then Samuel returns to Ramah. So you see, in these stories, we're introduced to Saul and David, and there are three truths from those two verses that we can, we can get from that, that stand out about their lives. They are true about both of them. They're similarities, and here are the three truths. The first is, they're called to it. They're called to be king. Both Samuel and David have a calling on their life. God has a purpose for them. And it's clear because they're anointed with oil and they're told God wants you to be king over Israel. They're called to it. The second thing is they're also gifted for it. Now, gifting in the Bible is the means that God gives you to carry out the calling that he's placed on your life. It says in both stories that the Spirit of God came powerfully upon both of them. God gave them what they needed to be who he called them to be. So they were called to it, they were gifted for it, and third, others could see it. Others could see it. God could see it. Samuel the prophet could see it. The rest of Israel could see it. We're told that Saul, on his way home, the Spirit of God came so powerfully on him, he began to prophesy, and people passing by started asking, is Saul now a prophet? They could see God was all over him. And we just read where it said that the Spirit of God came powerfully upon David, and everybody there recognized it. In fact, that third verse that was read. One day, Saul is looking for somebody to help him. And one of the servants says, hey, I know this guy. He said, good musician, man of war, a leader, good looking. Spirit of God is all over him. And he was talking about David. Because others can see when God has gifted somebody. It's easy to see when God has gifted somebody. Have you ever seen somebody and you just knew? You knew God had gifted that person in some way. It's easy for us to see it. So that begs the question, why is it so hard for us as followers of Jesus Christ to look in the mirror and see what God has gifted us to do? Why is it so hard to look in the mirror and see God's thumbprint on our life, that he has gifted us just as he gifted Saul and David in the Old Testament? But what do we do instead? We look in the mirror and we see what? We see every single gap in our life where we're supposedly not enough in our life. And the problem is, if we fixate on our gap, we're going to fail to see the gift that God has given us. Because here's the truth. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
The three things that were true about Saul and David are true about you. You're called to it. You're gifted for it. And others can see it. Jesus did not just save us from our sins. That would have been enough. Praise God. But Jesus also saved us for a purpose. He's given all of us a purpose to walk this earth. Us individually, us collectively as a church. He's given all of us a purpose to walk this earth. We are called to it. And as followers of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, like Saul and David, we all have some similar callings. One of those callings, the first one, is to follow Jesus. We're all called to follow Jesus, regardless of our giftings, to become more like Jesus, because at some point you had an encounter with God, and Jesus said, get up, or as we said last week, drop your nets and follow me. Number two, not only do we all have the calling to follow Jesus, we also have the calling as a follower of Jesus Christ to love God and love others. What's the greatest commandment Jesus said? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to love God and love others. And third, we're called, we're all called to make disciples. Don't take my word for it. Jesus himself said this. Therefore go, therefore go into all nations making disciples, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Pretty straightforward words from Jesus there, right? We're called to make disciples. We all share similar callings, and you, as a follower of Christ, may even feel a specific calling from God. But maybe you're here today, you don't know what that specific calling is. And that's okay, because here's what I know. When God calls you, he'll make it abundantly clear to you. Abundantly clear. He's not only called it, called you to it, he's gifted you for it. He's given you the means to carry out that calling he's placed on your life. Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about gifts, spiritual gifts. And he says, in God's grace, he's given us what? Different gifts. We're not all gifted the same. Your gifts are different than my gifts. They're all coming from the same place. They're all equally valuable and equally important. And that's what Paul talks about in the book of Romans. If, if God has given you, he says, the ability to prophesy, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve well. If you're a teacher, teach. Teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, 
then be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God's given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. What, what Paul is saying there is that if you are a follower of Christ, God has given you a gift. So do it because you got it. You got it. No matter what anybody else says, you're gifted for it. You're called to it. You're gifted for it. And others can see it. If you don't, if you don't know what God has gifted you with, Here's my encouragement for you. Ask somebody. Now, in January of next year, early after, uh, after Christmas, early next year, we are going to begin a study in Sunday school, and we'll also have some sermons on Sunday morning revolving around that study. It's called The Disciples' Path by Jim Harnish. And... That study is excellent. Beth and I have not only been through it, we have led that study several times over the years. And it, it, it was life-changing for me. And one of the weeks, get ready for this, one of the weeks coming up in January, we are going to talk about spiritual gifts. And the exercise is there's an assessment that is taking, they're, uh, taken. Uh, don't worry, there are no right or wrong answers. But just to see where our area of giftedness may lie. Before you take that assessment, the exercise is, first of all, do some reflection. What do you think your gifts are? What do you think God has gifted you with? The second exercise is without telling someone, it may be your spouse or a family member or a good friend, whatever the case may be, ask somebody close to you that knows you really, really well, what do you think my spiritual gifts are? I did this with Beth, and the first time we did this, I, I asked Beth, what do you think my spiritual gifts are? She said, without missing a beat, she said, preaching and teaching. And I, like Sarah in the Old Testament, laughed you are crazy. No, I'm, I'm not. And I'll explain why in just a few moments. But I said, no, 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 no. And I had other ideas in mind. I took the assessment, and lo and behold, many of, um, many of the husbands in our group this morning can attest to this. Uh, my wife was right again. Uh, the assessment came back that my first two spiritual gifts were preaching and teaching. I wanted to be able to tell Beth, see, you're wrong. So I went back and took the assessment again, purposefully changed my answers, trying to skew the results. Do you know that it came back a second time that my top two spiritual gifts are preaching and teaching? I think God was trying to tell me something. And I wrestled with him on that. The point is, you got it. There's gifts that you have that no one else has. There's a combination of spiritual gifts that you have. 
that no one else has, that God has only gifted for you. Because you have a purpose. We have a purpose. You got it. God has given you what you need to carry out the calling that he's placed on your life. But what are you going to do with that gifting? What are we going to do with it? And that's where we see the similarities between Saul and David end. Because they did two different things, didn't they? As a matter of fact, as a result of those two different things, if you go over into the New Testament, somebody counted this. I, I did not read the entire New Testament before today to verify this. But it is my understanding somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 times in the New Testament, David's name is mentioned. Guess how many times in the New Testament Saul is mentioned? Zero. Zero. Hmm. So what are we going to do? Well, let's look at that a little bit. Let's see why. What did they do different? First Samuel 10, where we started, if we move over to verses 21 and 22, I, I promise you I laughed when I read this. Saul has disappeared. I'll give you a little background. So the people ask, oh, what, you know, where is he? Where'd he go? And the Lord replied, they asked the Lord, where is he? Where is Saul? Where is your anointed one that you have called? And the Lord replied, it's in your Bible, look it up. It's in First uh, Samuel 10, verse, verses 21 and 22. The Lord replied, he's hiding among the baggage. So here is Saul. He's selected. He knew he was called. He was gifted for it. Others could see it. Saul is selected to be king, and where is he? He is literally among the baggage. And you have to remember, they didn't have cars back then, means of travel. So when you went to go visit somebody at their house, it's not like today where I go over to Kathy's and, and uh, we all have a nice meal and then a couple hours later go home. No, you're there for a little while because it was a long trek. You carry luggage with you. So... This is the luggage that people brought together or brought with them when they gathered together. And they can't find this guy. He is described elsewhere in Scripture as being head and shoulders taller than anybody else in all of Israel. And here he is hiding among the baggage, the luggage. This big, huge guy. He's called. He's gifted. Everybody could see it. And he is basically saying, I don't think I have what it takes. It would, it would be funny, except that we tend to do the same thing. Oh, we're called to it. We're gifted for it. Others can see it. And yet we still find ourselves hiding behind the baggage, the baggage of our past. Or we hide in the baggage of our insecurity. Well, God, I, you know, I, oh, I don't know enough about the Bible. What if they ask me something I don't know? Oh, God, I've only been a Christian for a couple of years. I've not been a Christian as long as sister so-and-so. And I'm, maybe if I get a little more experience, some years under my belt of following you, maybe then, but not right now. Not right now. No, I don't have enough. God, what if I step out and I fail? What if I fall flat on my face? Or maybe for you, 
the baggage that you're hiding behind is comparison. If I was more like him or more like her, then maybe I could be who you called me to be, God. But here's the problem. If we're buried in our baggage, we cannot go where God wants us to go. If we won't leave our baggage behind, we won't be who God has called us to be. And I know it because here's the personal part. Remember I told you I laughed when Beth told me your gift is preaching and teaching and then took the assessment and found out that she was right? Well, I immediately began to think of preachers and teachers in my life that were that I look up to, that I respect, that I revere. And I thought, <laughs> I'm, I'm nowhere... I'm nowhere close to that. I can't, I can't do that. They, uh, you know, God, pastor, this pastor, when he walks into a room, people are automatically drawn to him and respect him, and he just kind of takes over with his, with his aura, you know. I don't have that. I walk into the room and people say, uh, who's the skinny guy? <laughs> right? And then I think, I'm just happy to slide in on the back wall and just observe. God, I don't have what it takes. Or, or look at this, look at this preacher over here. Oh, when she delivers a sermon, she can lift that congregation so high that they have to look down to see heaven. And then I get up and speak and I stumble and I sometimes say the wrong thing. I don't have what it takes. But fortunately for me, others could see it. Others could see it. He called you to step out because there's a different way. And David responded differently than Saul. So the next time that David is mentioned in Scripture after being anointed to be king of Israel. He was showing up to the battle lines to deliver some dinner to his brothers. It's while he was there that he saw the Philistine army challenging the people of Israel. His people, he was called to save from the hand of the Philistines that were standing across the battle lines. He saw the champion Goliath. We all know the story of David and Goliath, don't we? We learned that in Sunday school. Goliath challenging his people. And David saw nobody responding, cowering in fear. And here's what David, the little shepherd boy, did in response. David asked soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? You see, when Saul was called to it, gifted for it, everybody saw it. He hid in the baggage saying, God, I don't feel like I have what it takes. But David stepped up. Not saying, I don't feel like I have what it takes, but saying, God, take what I have. Because here's the deal. When we say, God, I don't feel like I have what it takes, we're basing the outcome on 
our own ability. And make no mistake about it, if you're a follower of Christ, you are gifted, regardless of what you think your ability is. You are gifted. You got it. Being gifted means that you have something to give. Like I said, I'm being really transparent with you today. There are days that I still wake up in the baggage. God, I don't feel like I have what it takes to be the husband you've called me to be. God, I don't feel like I have what it takes to be the father, the grandfather, the godfather. I have a goddaughter. I don't feel like I have what it takes. God, I don't feel like I have what it takes to be the minister at Manatee Life Church. God, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to do what you've called me to be. But the outcome, church, is not dependent on me. And guess what? The outcome is not dependent on you. The outcome is dependent on the one who is with us, Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God came powerfully upon David, came powerfully upon Saul. And the Spirit of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, has come powerfully on you as well. And he's gifted you for what he's called you to do. You've been called to it. You're gifted for it. Others can see it because you got it. You got it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please remind us that you have given us a gift for purpose. We pray that we would feel your spirit, even those days when we still wake up in the baggage and think that we're not enough. We desire to feel your spirit and that you would call us out into the calling that you've placed on us because you've given us a gift to live that out. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we leave this place today, remember the church is not this building. This, this building is merely the place where the church gathers. That's what the building is, right? We are the church. As we leave here today, remember this throughout your week in being the church. That you're called to it, you're gifted for it, and others can see it because you got it. You got it. Go in peace. Amen. Okay, you got it. The grammatically incorrect titled sermon that <laughs> should have been you've got it that's what was pointed out to me but you got it if you got god you got it you can join us at manatee life church if you're in bradenton florida or you can join us online each and every sunday at 10:30 eastern time be sure to get social with the church manatee life facebook page the link to that is in the show notes also the church's website manatee both of those in the links of this episode. 
And hey, you can get social with us at Soul Ramblings Podcast on our Facebook or Instagram pages. Got links to those as well. And wherever you're listening today, if you would click subscribe, that way you never miss a new episode of Soul Ramblings Podcast. I want to thank you for the gift and privilege of your time today. I really, really do appreciate it, and I do not take that for granted. And before we scoot out the door for this week, here is a last piece of advice. If you believe in goodness and if you value the approval of a God, fix your minds on whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and praiseworthy. I'm Jerry Wicker from Manatee Life Church. Until next week, keep the conversation going. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Soul Ramblings with Jerry Wicker. Download new episodes every week. And if you haven't already, subscribe and be sure to leave us a rating and review. Soul Ramblings is a Tiki Hut Media production. Mm-hmm.